This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome into the latest installment of the Penn State postgame podcast here in the Lions 24-7 podcast. Tyler Donahue, Sean Fitz with you, and becoming more accustomed to bringing it in with a Penn State loss. Four consecutive defeats for Penn State in 2020. Uh, that is more regular season losses over the course of an entire year that Penn State has suffered since 2015. And we talked about this a bit last week, talking about the putting the season in a vacuum a bit and how much are we going to make of this season long term, grand scheme of things in the football universe. What will this 2020 football season mean, for, not just for Penn State, but across the country? I'm not sure, but here's where we're at. Penn State is 0-4. For the second time in school history, by virtue of a 30 to 23 loss at Nebraska. In that loss for the fourth straight week, they faced a double digit deficit at halftime. In fact, they faced a double digit deficit by the end of the second possession of the opponent for the third consecutive game. They've been outscored 93 to 26 in the first half through four contests here in 2020. They've given up 30 plus points in five consecutive games. That's a program first. They are 2-6 and six in their last eight Big Ten matchups. It has been 350 days since they picked up a conference victory. That was last November against Rutgers and Beaver Stadium. Iowa's coming to town next Saturday. They just blew out Minnesota after blowing out Michigan State. Whoa, boy, Sean Fitz. There's your setup. That's a hell of a setup. I appreciate that. You're bringing, uh, bringing the heat and it's, it's been ugly. And, and uh, you and I were chatting briefly before we went on the air. It's, uh, this is an interesting type of podcast because it's kind of like the Indiana game all over again, where Penn State, you know, you look at the numbers and it's fairly dominant. You also look at the turnovers and Penn State awful in that area. So, um, you know, it's, it's just one of these ones where I know the, the comeback was there and Penn State had two opportunities late in the game to make it happen. But this one, you know, seemed pretty well over by the middle of the second quarter, just get, given the 10 points off of turnovers. And, the, you know, it's just the what seems to be the tradition of letting the other team score on the first drive and just so many things that you just keep repeating and repeating and repeating. Now, to their credit, they made some changes. They did some things and, you know, some positivity sort of reigned itself uh, through there and and they were able to get something going. But just, I mean, just putting yourself in that hole over and over again, whether it's against Nebraska, who's not very good, Maryland's not very good, Indiana is better than we thought they would be, and we thought they'd actually be pretty decent, or Ohio State, who was just going to roll over everybody. I mean, you, you just can't do that. And, and, and really, you just put yourself in that position over and over and over again. It hurts to watch. I mean, it, it's, it hurts to figure out who we're going to pick because you and I were talking very early in the game. It's like, we look like idiots now. Now, of course, Penn State did, you know, make it a game and make it sort of look like that, I guess, look like the team that we thought could come out there and look like the team that Nebraska, the Nebraska team that we thought could come out there. It's just, it's ugly to watch and it's just, uh, it's downright deflating if you're, if you're a Penn State fan. I let off my prediction comment <laughs> that Mark Brennan asked us for on Thursdays. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. That was 
kind of the phrase that came to mind for me going into this one, picking Penn State again after the back against the wall pick for Maryland and thinking they would come out and win that game. Shame on me, I guess, because it was exactly kind of the, the, the first half play out that we've seen from Penn State of late. Very easy to forget at this point that just three weeks ago, three Saturdays ago, uh, this program woke up as the number eight team in national rankings, and here they are. Uh, Thanksgiving menus are coming together across the country, and Penn State's still searching for its first victory of 2020. I mentioned some of those really rough trends to start the show some rough trends from these last three weeks here. Um, I will say the one thing, and we're going to get to this, it feels like there are a few more positives, flashes of potential that we see coming out of this game compared to what we saw coming out of Maryland or even the Ohio State matchup. But early on, it was very much a continuation of all these lingering issues that have defined this year thus far. You know, allowed the opening touchdown uh, on on their opponent's, opponent's first drive for the third consecutive game. You end your first possession with a turnover. It was a turnover on downs the last two weeks. This time, it's a terrible interception. I mean, Sean Clifford has six of them this year. I think this was the worst interception. And it's on the opening possession of a matchup where the pressure is squarely on him. And we knew that there was a chance we'd see a lot of Will Levis. And of course we did. And we're going to talk about that situation in a moment. But again, a double-digit lead for the opponent by the end of their second possession for the third straight week. Uh, Clifford coughs up a scoop and score for the second consecutive week that seemingly buries the program. Last year, it gave Maryland a ton of separation early in the second half. This time, it put Nebraska up 24-3, to less than 20 minutes into this matchup, Sean. 24-3, to a Cornhuskers team that has struggled to score. I think they had three touchdowns on the year coming into this game. That, As we heard from Brian Christofferson on the podcast this week, they're always assuming that the, the shoe is going to drop and, and uh, they're going to be taking a turn for the worst. And it almost happened to the Cornhuskers. Uh, let's not give them too much credit. But early on, it was a buzzsaw again. And you're thinking... This doesn't even like you're kind of growing numb to it. Like it, last couple of weeks, it was it was like man, Penn State's getting buried early. What is happening? And now it's like yeah, that's the Penn State team that we've been watching, and of course that's happening. And now they and and, and we'll get to the rally in a bit later, but twenty four to three on that on that scoop and score touchdown against a Nebraska team that had won once in its last eight Big Ten matchups. Yeah, I mean, and it feels like we're piling on Sean Clifford, but. I mean, when it just comes, keeps coming back to the same thing over and over again, that pick, I mean, I, I was watching them go down the field, running the football actually pretty decent today, um, watching them go down the field. And I stepped, uh, you know, looked away for a minute and I, I get back and Nebraska's got the ball inside the red zone. Bad, what, what, what's bad. going on here? And, and then I saw the pick. And, oh my goodness. I, 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 something's broken there. And, and I know we're going to talk about the quarterback change and everything like that, but something is just, has just gone off the ledge there. And it, I don't know that, that it can come back. And that's really unfortunate to see. So, um, I mean, it's, it's going to be, uh, an interesting week. Um, you know, we talked to James Franklin afterward and of course, Will Levis nearly orchestrated the comeback and he's not going to commit to a, to a start. And, and let's be honest, no coach in the country right now is going to come out after that game and say, okay, this, this guy is our starter next week. So I wouldn't make too much about that, but man, there's seeing, you won't even see that in the NFL. Yeah. Seeing the difference is just, it. it's pretty clear as day. And it's unfortunate to say that because, you know, Clifford has taken some hits and he's been a guy that, uh, you know, has been a tough, tough leader and all that kind of stuff. But it's not getting done. It's not getting done. And and quite clearly over four games and four losses, it's it's certainly not getting done. That was start number 16 in the career of Sean Clifford, 16 in the last 17 Penn State games. He missed the regular season finale last year against Rutgers. 
Um, now, Will Levis confirmed what he can do on the ground. We understand he's a tough runner. Um, he is a, a really impressive short yardage runner as well. It didn't get really loose for big games over the course of this, but he kept the, the, the kept them moving in the right direction. There weren't a lot of losses. Um, still, concerns surfacing as a passer, but there was a spark. There's no doubt about it. Penn State, from the point that he checked in, ended up outscoring Nebraska 20 to six the rest of the way. Uh, I don't know if it, I don't know if it contributed to it defensively, but you mentioned earlier in the week, kind of reviewing what happened against Maryland, that you kind of got the sense that the, the lack of the issues that were coming from the quarterback position for Penn State were stemming and branching across the the roster and and, and across what they want to do in different phases. Um, I, you know, say what you will. I don't know if, if these kind of sparks last in a game too. Often it's more of a in the game it's happening, you get that bump and, and maybe not so much the next week, but it certainly was present and we thought it might be if you put Will Levis in in this contest and he was there early in the second quarter and he was the guy the rest of the way. Sean Clifford, to his credit, actively engaged on the sideline, involved in those discussions, was was you know kind of a sounding board for Will Levis from what we hear and you'd expect that from a team captain, but it, there was no more Sean Clifford on the football field and uh, eight turnovers on the year, as we said, a couple of fumbles and uh, just a guy who has never looked comfortable through this entire 2020 season. I don't know what's going on because Minnesota fans today are clamoring for Kirk Shiraka because Tanner Morgan is now broken. You said Sean Clifford's broken. They don't know what happened to Tanner Morgan right now, but clearly it didn't like transfer over here to Sean Clifford. And thank you to Michigan, by the way, because Michigan's making Ooh. Penn State look pretty good right now. So, you know, that that's always appreciated that somebody else can take that burden. Um, you know, Penn State certainly has problems and they're going to run into Michigan in a few weeks. But, man, that's uh, that's helpful when you see and PJ Minnesota, and Minnesota look. Awful. Yeah, Minnesota yeah. <laughs> had double digit wins last year. Michigan's obviously has high expectations and it's a crazy, crazy year. Going back to Levis, it's probably oversimplifying it a little bit, but you just look around more confidence more physical at, at every level. You're looking at, at the offensive line, you know, moving forward as a unit. And I know that, you know, Will Levis, that's kind of what you expect from him as a runner, trying to be that guy that, you know, moves the pile and does things. Will Levis himself, more physical. The running backs, I thought the running backs, you know, did some really nice things today. Devin Ford ran tougher than we were used to seeing. And then those freshmen did a, did a pretty good job as well. So, um, so th- there's certainly positives there. It's just, you look at that game and you look at the last four weeks and and you didn't see that sort of confidence, that sort of spark until Levis came into the game. And that's, you know, uh, probably falls back on the coaching staff. But at the same time, I mean, wh- what have we been waiting for? This is really the season that they've kind of thrown away. Um, everybody's kind of thrown it away except for, you know, the, the national contenders. And, you know, I think it's worth giving it a shot. Will Levis gives you something. Uh, you're probably not going to get peak Will Levis until your ground game is working. And that's tough to do when you're down, what, 27 to 6 at, at that point. Um, but at the same time, you know, they got some things going. They hit some big plays. Will Levis looked fairly comfortable in the pocket, which we haven't seen at all this year. You know, he stood in there, took some hits, and maybe he's just not shell-shocked yet, but he stood in there and took some hits and delivered. Uh, he has no problem getting the ball out to his receivers uh, on a line. I mean, that kid's that kid's arm strength shows up in a big way. Touch? Yeah, we'll get to that. That's going to be an, an issue that uh, Penn State would run into later on in this game. But, you know, you, you like what you see from Levis, and at this point, 0-3, 0-4, might as well give it a shot. <laughs> 
He was fearless. I mean, down the stretch of that game, this is a kid who hadn't played in significant game action. I know he played against Rutgers last year, and that was a pretty ugly game all around. Um, he had 100-plus rushing yards, was not impressive at all as a passer, but he wasn't asked to go out and win the game late. He was here. He was asked to bring them back out of a hole uh, against Rutgers last year. It was more of like, try not to screw this up and get us to the finish line uh, with win number 10 of the regular season. This time around, you know, he's he's throwing some really difficult passes, throwing on the move, uh, not always being able to get set, still getting the ball there. You see the arm strength, and um, there's a lot to be desired for Will Levis in terms of evaluating his potential as a complete quarterback. And I think you need to have a complete quarterback if you do want to have college football playoff aspirations. But right now, you want to find a way to win a game. That That's where you're at right now as a program. Maybe there's a better passer in that quarterback room today. Maybe there'll be a couple better ones in the next upcoming years, but you want to find someone who's going to take you to a victory right now. Will Levis would appear to be in a better situation to do that than Sean Clifford, uh, who's been the opposite of fearless of late. You know, he's made some puzzling decisions, but he also has just never looked comfortable. Um, and going back to that, though, you mentioned the the, the way that te- this team ran, the way Will Levis kind of had some opportunities to stand back there and throw the ball. A positive today, I thought the offensive line put together its best performance of the year. Not the coincidence that it comes on the best ground game of the year, 235 total rushing yards. And this wasn't Will Levis dualing all the heavy lifting. He was over 60 yards rushing, but you had four different guys. Levis, Devin Ford, Kaziah Holmes, Kevon Lee all go for 49 or more rushing yards. Uh, Kaziah Holmes, it's funny because uh, Jaywan Slater to- told us on Thursday with Kaziah Holmes, He's the guy that needs to learn. You got to pick up that one yard. You have to go get it at this level. And he was the guy who got the ball fourth and one this time around. He went for 30 plus yards on that play. It was a big momentum move for Penn State. And then Kevon Lee, probably the easiest touchdown run he'll have in his Penn State career. He had to run a little bit to get there from 30 yards plus, but uh, no one around him. And it was really cool, by the way. He scores. Devin Ford scores. They both flash up that those four fingers, clearly uh, in honor of Journey Brown, who was medically retired this week. And, and then I think Caden Wallace at right tackle on the right side of your line with Will Fries, that's coming together pretty well um, for the offensive front. What's not working out so well is, is C.J. Thorpe trying to do too much after these plays. James Franklin clearly frustrated there. We didn't see Des Holmes involved today. Um, I, I think C.J. Thorpe was already um, in, in a bit of a precarious situation with his role in this lineup for the offensive line. Uh, that's not going to help his case. James Franklin was clearly frustrated by the uh, the the penalty that he got for for excessive stuff going on after the play in a game that you're not winning, and 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 it looks worse when that's the case. But it, it feels like at least today, for at least today, you got the stability a bit you were looking for on the offensive front. Combined with the run game, there was a physicality involved in both aspects. And uh, if there's one thing you can lean on, it's it's thinking, can you do that again and again and again? Because that's going to be a great foundation for this football program. Yeah, they're going to have to take small steps forward, it looks like. And, you know, like I said, this kind of was the Indiana game all over again. Penn State outgained um, Nebraska today by, I believe, over 200 yards, just over 200 yards. Did the same thing for Indiana and kind of held them in check for the most part. Uh, we're not going to play what if Devin Ford would have taken the knee. But, you know, this time around he got in, he ran hard, he got in and, and did some 
some nice things at running back. So, um, you know, you if you can get that ground game going, especially with a team like Iowa coming to town uh, next week, gives you a little bit of, of sense of hope. Uh, and I kind of think that's what we're going through. And I kind of think the, the game flow here where you go down that big early and that ugly early. I mean, you go down ugly and you get a chance to claw back. Penn State owned that second half for the most part, and it gives yourself a, it gives yourself a little bit of confidence that maybe you can make some changes and or or the changes that you've made sort of can reverse this trend that you've seen over the last couple of weeks. So we'll see what happens. I mean, you at this point you got to stick with Levis, right? I mean, it's there's no question about it. And what will that do for the rest of the team? What will that, that do for that running game? And that will open some th- other things up. Jahan Dotson, by the way, just two catches for 27 yards today. You know, he's got more in him. Pat Fryermuth, a big game uh, with, uh, I think, 74 of that coming on. He would have loved to have 75, but 74 of that coming on uh, one big catch uh, there in the third quarter. So just, I mean, some you, you're drawing more positive. I mean, last week against Maryland, you're, you can't take anything from that game and say, okay, this is what they did well. This is what you want to see and all that stuff. You can at least glean some positivity out of this game. At this point, look, I think this is pretty clear after they lost to Maryland and, and also what we've already talked about with the bowl picture this year. Even if you do qualify for a bowl and everybody qualifies for a bowl, do you want to be in that bowl? Does it make sense for this bowl to even happen? The postseason stuff goes out the window in a hurry here in 2020, and it's not really of, of concern as it normally would be year in, year out. Even if you're trying to get to eight wins to try to get to a decent bowl somewhere against a quality opponent, it, it's kind of out the window. Right now, we're, we're viewing these games at 0-3 and, and now 0-4 as basically parsing through the current roster, seeing what the coaching staff has to work with, seeing what the coaching staff actually can do with this group, because there's a lot to prove on their end as well, and trying to to salvage something to make it a springboard. Again, I don't know, and I, you know, we've heard from people who cover this thing at the national level. We know people that are on beats right now where it's a spiral situation as well. And the common prevailing theme is like, how much are we supposed to dig in and pull away from this 2020 season. And and certainly it's easy to say that when you're covering a team that has not won yet like we are, but how much are we really going to apply that to the long-term uh, plan for a program? How much are we going to apply that to the brand of a program? It's not helpful. It is not helpful at all to be 0-4, but it just it, it feels so much different than, say, going starting out 2-6 and six last year in a regular world and a regular schedule now I think the focus is on what's going to work for you this year, but also what's going to work for you in 2021 from a schematic standpoint, from a personnel standpoint. Saw some nice signs from the receiving core this week. I think Parker Washington continues to prove that he's worth the early accolades. Made some very difficult uh, catches in crunch time over the course of this contest. Keandre Lambert-Smith had his most productive day as a college player. And, and, you know, they kind of proved that they can move the ball without needing to rely on Jahan Dotson, who, by the way, his couple catches were very key to this game. Um, And uh, you look at the young running backs and, you know, you're, you're kind of just embracing this youth movement now because you've got to. Um, I do want to also get to the defense, Sean, because it's been pretty easy to pile up on them. No Castro Fields today out there, which meant we saw a lot of Keaton Ellis for a change of pace, a guy that we didn't see much of at all early in the year, the sophomore. Um, it started off and you were like, look, they're going to make Luke McCaffrey in his first career start look like a star. This is going to be so, you know, kind of just status quo for what we've seen Penn State versus these quarterbacks lately. Didn't happen. They stopped the bleeding um, really in that second half, really into the second quarter. Again, it was 24 to three early in the second quarter after that scoop and score play. And this defense stopped the bleeding for the most part. They ended up holding Nebraska to less than 300 total yards. 
McCaffrey was 152 passing yards, 67 rushing yards, two touchdowns and an interception. Brandon Smith's the guy who came with that interception. I know he had the a very questionable to me uh, personal foul called against him for throwing the guy to the ground. I thought it was just part of a, a, a tackle. And I think James Franklin said the same uh, after that press conference. But Brandon Smith's starting, the wheels are starting to turn. You can see it in the way he's performing. That acrobatic interception will help him. That was off of pressure from Jason Oway who, you know, not piling it up in the stat sheet, but consistently applying pressure out of the defensive end spot. I don't know if the defense can carry this over. They had another really brutal start, and they got to stop having brutal starts, and, and that's been pretty standard for them. And and Brent Pry is, is starting to enter that crosshair situation, and, and you can understand why. Uh, but they came up with the late stops they needed. They limited Nebraska to field goals on some of those longer drives in the second half. And really, uh, McCaffrey didn't shine in the way it looked like he was going to early on. Yeah, they did some some nice things, made some adjustments, and it's it's a shame. I mean, you basically put, I guess it's ten points that you know rightfully does not belong on their resume, and you know you get the scoop and score, and then the interception that puts them in a great spot. Probably should have been fourteen points given where Nebraska took over, but they did a nice job buckling down. There's still certainly holes in that defense, especially at that second level. Um, you know, look at the box linebackers, and you're you're kind of concerned with what's going on there. But you know, Penn State did some nice job filled filled gaps fairly well. Uh, I thought the safeties came up and did some nice things in the second half in terms of run support. Nebraska's not going to spread you out and make you you know I guess break you down on defense or anything like that and that's kind of what we saw in the first half I mean it was pretty straightforward what they were trying to do or what they were able to do um, it's just Penn State didn't come up and make those plays they they eventually did that they settled down um, you know they, they just gave up three points all in the, or excuse me three points in the second half of you know you would like to maybe get another takeaway or maybe shorten some of those drives up but uh, you know to be honest with you I mean you go down 27 to 6 you know, of course, Nebraska is going to go into a little bit of a shell, but at the same time, you know, they did a nice job of getting there and and getting sort of keeping themselves on schedule. Um, some some short gains or no gains on first down really helped them. And you know, that when you can get that pass rush going, you've got an opportunity to 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 do some things as we saw with the Brandon Smith interception. So. I mean, defense kind of did what they had to do. They were put in some precarious spots. Um, you know, obviously that was not uh, not their fault. Uh, but at the same time, still holes to fill there. I mean, you've get, you've got you've got to get more consistent. You got to start better. Um, I don't know that there's too many specific tweaks that they need to make or think anything like that. But it's just it's not a unit that's completely in sync with one another. It feels like right now. They gave up a 45-yard touchdown uh, to, to Xavier Betts on a jet sweep, and, and that was that was not a good look for the Penn State defense on Saturday. But the explosive plays, comparatively to what we've seen during recent weeks, they were limited. I, we should note, though, we talked about one thing with this Nebraska team. Could they produce explosive plays, and did they have that kind of personnel to do it? I don't want to act like they just they just kind of stopped some juggernaut offense. This is an offense that was at crossroads crossroads in its own right. They benched a third year starter before the game today. They put in Luke McCaffrey and see what they could get. They got an early spark, whereas Penn State got a late spark out of their quarterback move in this contest. Uh, we're going to come back with a few more thoughts on what we saw today, what the quarterback situation looks like moving forward, specifically coming up next against Iowa, and, and then, of course, long-term as well, um, and, and just kind of recap where things are at. Stay with us here on the Lions 24-7 podcast. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. 
With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Quarterback uh, is under the microscope now in Happy Valley. We're going to have a week of, of competition or whether you consider it just waiting to hear the confirmation of Will Levis being named the starting quarterback, whatever you want to call it, that's the conversation right now. And a big part of this day that marred the body of work for Will Levis was the continued issues as a passer. He showed off the arm strength, made some really important throws for this team to keep hope alive over the course of this contest, but got pretty ugly when they got into the red zone late. It got very ugly when they got into the red zone. They had eight plays run inside Nebraska's 15-yard line, over the course of those last five minutes, they had two opportunities. The defense forced a three and out and a punt, got them the ball back, and, and to Will Levis's credit, drove them back down. But things stalled out in a very significant way. On those eight plays, Sean, seven incompletions. I know people are ripping their hair out about the fade passes to sub-six-foot wide receivers. It's been a peculiar part of the Penn State playbook uh, consistently over recent years. But that was a problem, and that really shows the glaring issue with Will Levis. You like the way this kid plays. He seems to be a kind of a, a galvanizing figure when he gets on the field, and he's a hard-nosed runner, and he can sling it. But when it comes down to getting it in those tight windows, is he ever going to be that guy? We haven't seen it to this point in his career. Those seven consecutive incompletions that he had – uh, inside the 15, uh, that made him four, 14 of 31 passing on the day. His career completion percentage is right around 53% now with a, you know somewhere around 70 throws in his college career. But, Sean, that's an alarming thing uh, if you're moving forward and trying to get wins this season and also if you're, if you're kind of wrapping your head around maybe Will Levis being a long-term solution for Penn State at quarterback. His in- inability to this point, and really going back to his high school career and what we saw from him on, on, on camp fields even – accuracy has always been sporadic and you just can't live and die with that if you want to be a, a high caliber quarterback at this level and a high caliber program it's accuracy but it's it's a lot of touch and that's the thing like you know when you when he needs to throw it in there and he threw actually some decent balls kind of fastballs but uh decent balls in in location um but when you ask him to put a little touch on it you're gonna run that slot fade and 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 that's another thing i mean that's a lot of fades in the end zone, or excuse me, in the red zone. And I, I get people say that you know you take that out of the playbook, but at the same time, it's been pretty successful for you with from Deshaun Hamilton to KJ Hamler. You just can't overdo it. Um, Parker Washington was in some spots where he could have caught some touchdowns with better throws. Um, so I don't think you completely go away from it, but they're going to it too much. Let's be honest with you. So um, I, I don't know how the play calling changes. Um, you know, I think James Franklin said after the game, uh, the red zone is about running. And that's something that they really got away from at times. And I know they tried to do a quarterback draw where, where Levis kind of got uh, behind the offensive line and did not go, you know, it, it did not go well. Um, but at the same time, I mean, you just got to mix that in a little bit. I know they weren't as pressed for time as you really want to think they were, you know, just based on looking. And that that's both drives right there. That's Time the one. wasn't an issue, I don't think. Yeah, time was not an issue. I don't think you can say time, time was really a factor. I don't think so either. And you've got the, you know, you've got some guys running well, you know, you kind of 
keep those guys honest because, you know, that's going to open up some windows. Everything is so much tighter and you have to be so much more precise in that red zone. And right now that's not Will Levis' specialty. So they got to figure something out, different ways to get the ball to different people. Um, you know, you've seen even Nebraska had some success on those jet sweeps. I know we haven't seen those for a while at Penn State, but, I, I, you know, I'd like to see some of those come through. They ran a screen today that actually looked fairly decent. If, you know, the blockers out in front could have found somebody, it could have been a big play. So, you know, they're, they're mixing some things up, but, you know, you, you're getting away from, uh, you know, just – trying to play to your receiver's strengths. And when your receiver is Parker Washington, that's 5'9", five, 5'10", five, strong kid, no doubt about it. But you're throwing up a fade three or four times in the red zone, it's just not going not gonna to get it done. It was peculiar to see them not try to run the ball. I mean, it, Franklin talked about how nice it was today and refreshing it was to see their traditional run game going with these running backs. And regardless of who you're really giving the ball to, there was something alike about what we saw from Ford Holmes and Lee in their own right over the course of this game. And certainly we know Levis can run the ball, but to turn that 15, it, within that 15 yard span into kind of a dartboard situation for Will Levis. And that's just not the strong suit for him. And he kind of reinforced that, uh, over the course of those two possessions late in, late in the game. And, and time was not a factor. It's not like you had 17 seconds and it was first and goal and you had to just, you had to get in the end zone or you, you had to get the, you had time. I mean, you weren't worried about getting the ball back to Nebraska late in that game. Uh, you know, there, there was nothing like that. So it was strange not to see them, you know, run the ball a bit. The, the approach they went with, though, they didn't even get an opportunity to really set themselves up for pass interference penalties. They just, it, it, it really, the ball wasn't delivered where it needed to be. And I don't know if Will Levis is going to be that guy. You know, um, I, it would be really, really great for him and really great for Penn State if he could become that kind of a package at quarterback and it would make all the difference. But that's kind of the reason I believe it, you know, he's got that four seamer, but he doesn't have the change up right now in his repertoire and he has not had it. And you watch the high school film and you saw him in practice and he's this athletic freak and he can chuck the ball and he, he, he just, and he's got this kind of intangible air about him, but there's a reason that he wasn't dubbed a four-star or a five-star quarterback. And, and there's not a lot of those available. Someone's always going to have their shortcoming. And, and there's not a lot of teams that have the guy that does everything right. Uh, and, and that's probably where you're going to keep uh, worrying about Will Levis and where he fits into the solution here in 2020. And he's going to be the next guy to get a shot at the solution, I would imagine. But you know, over the course of these next six games, can he kind of change that narrative? Because if he can't, um, I just don't know how you can feel good about where things stand with Kirk Shiraka, and I don't know how you can't get a look at, at Taquan Roberson at some point in the next month and a half as well. Well, we're not ready to move on from Levis just yet, um, but yeah, you're right. I mean, he's more likely to put it through a linebacker than drop it over top of a linebacker, so he's got to figure something out from the touch aspect of things. Um, you know, his deep ball, I, I haven't seen the accuracy, but he can certainly push it downfield. We saw Pat Fryermuth get behind the defense, and really, to me, that's what that's what this passing game is missing. You you don't have any big play, you know, consistent big play threats. Jahan Dotson's been fantastic. Parker Washington's been very good for a freshman. But at the same time, I mean, that guy that you can push it downfield and have him go up and make a catch, 
you know, it's still kind of inconsistent there. But now you've got an opportunity where you've got Levis, who, you know, seems to be a little bit more comfortable in the pocket, you know, was able to move around. I, li- I love that fourth down completion to Keandre Lambert-Smith along the sideline where, you know, Lambert-Smith did a really good job of, of setting down and getting open. But Levis was able to, to, to get through his progressions to find him and to, to make a what looked to be a fairly easy completion. So um, you, you, you like those little things that started peeking through there in the second half. And, you know, this seemed this may seem like an overly positive podcast after an 0-4 start, um, but, you know, you just saw a different team out there. You saw kind of what you expected that offensive line to pass protect. Now, there was a couple of failings in the second half with, with pass protection, but at the same time, you give him the same amount of time as you gave Sean Clifford, but Levis, Levis is using it more efficiently, doing different things with it. And that's, that's a pot, that's a very big positive, especially when you're asking your quarterback to go out and win you games and make you plays as opposed to, you know, just kind of panicking and, you know, panic and run and all that stuff. So, um, I, I think there's positives to be brought out of it. Levis, obviously, kind of like the defense, it had, there's holes in that game, but you can, sort of patch them and try and make the most of them. And, and if you make a few mistakes along the way, that's fine. At least you know what you have. He, he had big moment throws. He had big moment plays. That was tremendous to see because to this point, um, it's so hard to glean much out of that Ohio State game last year because, you know, I guess it's not too dissimilar, but you were buried on the road at Ohio State and, and it was really desperation mode to a different degree even than what we saw today because there was a lot of time. There was like 41 minutes of game left when Will Levis checked in. Um, and, and this Nebraska team doesn't scare you like that Ohio State team did last year. So there was an opportunity for him to, to bring this team back. He did it. Uh, he, he was right on that doorstep a couple times, um, just didn't complete the job. But I, I agree. There was, like I said, fearless. There was a fearlessness, and there's a lot of guys that see their first action, particularly on the road, um, knowing their team's under a lot of pressure where they would fold or they would make some bad decisions. The number that stood out, I, I mentioned some of the bad numbers there um, with his completion percentage and the accuracy. The zero, no turnovers for a guy with that much extensive action, again, uh, and and needing to make a play. It wasn't like they could afford to waste possessions. You needed to make a play like every single snap, every single possession. You needed to keep moving the chains. It would have been easy for Will Levis to force something. We've seen Sean Clifford do that repeatedly. He held on to the ball, didn't fumble it, took some serious shots on the open field. And he also didn't throw an interception. You know, there were some poorly placed passes. There's no doubt about it. But there was no pass where it's like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe he got away with that. So that was promising as well, the zero turnovers. And I know you laugh a little bit, me bringing up Taquan Roberson and maybe people out there roll their eyes and saying, all right, now now everyone wants to look at the next backup quarterback because of the situation. But to me, I'm going to reiterate, this is an offensive coordinator who did not personally recruit any of these quarterbacks in his room to the campus. Clifford's 22 next 22 right now. Levis is 22 next year. The eligibility for them has been extended by the NCAA. So really, Levis is around in college football till 2023 if he chooses to do so. But to me, it's imperative for Penn State coaches to determine an appropriate approach for for what they, is going on this week, but also you know what they think about Will Levis for the future, what they think about the younger components of this position room for the future, the recruiting targets they're juggling, the transfer portal that's out there looming and seems to be so productive for, for teams in the upper echelon of college football. So I, I don't want to rush past Will Levis, but I think you need to to try to wrap your head around what he is, what his ceiling can be, what his restrictions are. Um, he's the guy I think probably gives you the best shot to win a football game right now in November of 2020. 
But I, I wouldn't be so quick to turn away from from maybe just getting a look. And and look, Levis could go out there and and catch fire and 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 and, and you know really light it up and and look awesome. And by the end of the year, we're saying he's your no doubt about it starter in 2021. And I'm sure people would love to see that in the Penn State fan base. But to this point, I just had those concerns about what he can accomplish as a complete quarterback what the limitations might be for your offense without him being able to take that step forward. So I, I think you need to really evaluate this quarterback room. You're 0-4. Uh, you should be able to have a bit of a leash in terms of exploring things. I know the fans aren't giving you much of a leash as a coaching staff, but you're you're not going to have a lot of time. I, I still think spring practice next year, we'll see how things go with this pandemic. I don't think anything's promised for evaluating your team, so you have to maximize these next four to five games. Yeah, and Penn State has never made a quarterback change in the middle of the in the middle of the season under James Franklin. I mean, it's been even when when Hackenberg was getting battered around and obviously you know took a step back, or McSorley kind of was in the same way. I mean, you you never saw a change, and now you know you get that opportunity, and you kind of got to figure out what's what's out there. I'm wondering if this is it for Sean Clifford. I mean, that's really uh, the, it, it's been it's been bad. Obviously, it's been you know painful to watch or, you know him go through that, but at the same time, I mean, if you're not getting it done you're not getting it done and you know is Will Levis a guy I don't know but I've seen enough from Sean Clifford at least in this season to question whether he would be the guy moving forward so I think that is an interesting subplot there especially when you take into account the uh, added eligibility uh, you know tacked on for everybody so yeah I agree with you I'd love to see you know what you can see from Taquan Roberson I don't know that that's still realistic like we talked about on the Friday episode that he's going to actually get in there but yeah, I, w- I would love to see how this is going to develop because it's going to be pretty fascinating, especially with that that eligibility tack on. So uh, I, don't, I don't know how it's going to turn out, but uh, you know, it's going to be. I think the quarterback room a year from now is is probably going to look pretty different. Yeah, I do wonder if if Sean Clifford, you know, I, I guess you're. How are they going to if they if they go with Levis and and I think they will and they name him the starting quarterback I'm like Will Levis said this past week he was almost exclusively getting second team reps if he's getting first team reps are you piling the second team reps on Sean Clifford are you spreading those with Taquan Roberson if Levis struggles at some point over the next few weeks are you putting Sean Clifford back in or are you going right down to the redshirt freshman and seeing what you have in Roberson I agree with you what what's next for Clifford with this program he's a he's a team captain. He's been around for four years. Uh, his younger brother is one of your top recruits in the next class. There's a lot going on here. And because of the NCAA eligibility, his college career is now extended. He's got two more years beyond this. A lot of questions to answer. And, and we know what this kid means to James Franklin. And we've seen that play out. And just a very tough conversation to have, not just maybe getting off the plane here in Happy Valley on, on, on a Saturday night, but this upcoming week and, and the weeks to follow and, and how exactly they're going to uh, work him into the quarterback rotation and, and what this means moving forward for Kirk Shiraka and what he's going to do to assess the group he has on campus. I mean, it's it's going to be an interesting case study for James Franklin because we know how much loyalty is. We know how much he's been talking about that, that sort of thing with Sean Clifford. And we know that uh, based on his comments, you know, you didn't want to rattle Clifford or, or take away that confidence, but obviously the time came and, you know, I think Will Levis made, made enough of it to, to, to say, to stake his claim for where he's going to be. So yeah, it's going to be an interesting case study for, for how Franklin handles these things. As I said, this is not a situation he's been in before at Penn State and that's, uh, it's been going to be pretty fascinating over the next couple of weeks, especially for essentially not much to play for. And by the way, about seven or eight weeks from now, Christian Veyu, 
crosses the border, comes down from Ontario and joins that quarterback room. And the, the thing marches on. They continue to, to develop your roster and you continue to, to evaluate it. So we'll see where things are at quarterback. We're going to learn a little bit more in the upcoming days. And uh, that Tuesday press conference that James Franklin steps to the podium going to have some added significance uh, with this quarterback decision hanging in the balance. Sean, big picture here. I, I, I said at the top of the show, I feel like I, I, I had this conversation with different people on, on a daily to weekly basis now. What does 2020 mean in the grand scheme of things for college football? Uh, are we looking too much into things? Are we maybe looking too little into things because of thinking that it doesn't matter all that much because of circumstances? Big picture, though, the next loss for this team, and they're going to lose another game, I would imagine, unless things turn in a drastic way. That would ensure their first losing season since 2004. I, I don't know how much stock we're putting into this year for Penn State. I don't know how much stock we're putting into this year for college football and, and whatever happens with the college football playoff. And if at the end of the day, this is going to have a, a gigantic asterisk attached to it. Um, but what do we make of where things are right now? I have no idea. <laughs> I mean, it, it, so we're on the, same, on the page. same page. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, I don't think you're going to take too much, you know, away from this season, given the the opt outs and the injuries, et cetera, et cetera. But at the same time, there, there's glaring holes that need filled. I mean, no matter who's out there, especially in the defensive side of the ball, um, trying to figure out what you know, where do you recapture that sort of, and I think it's probably overrated talking about the identity and everything like that, but where do you recapture some of that, that stuff that you had? And I'm not talking about the McSorley magic or anything like that, but you've got, you've got a scheme that had been pretty decent for a while. Um, you know, almost bordering on elite. Now all of a sudden it's uh, Swiss cheese. So, uh, you gotta, you gotta find some of that, that, that stuff and, and sort of regroup and not take too much from the record. Uh, also at the same time, you've got to really that uh, you know recruiting hasn't stopped and that's something that that you need to turn around and spin to the best of your ability and figure out how you can keep those keep that 2022 class together and you know uh, salvage what do you have in 2021 so I mean there's a lot going on and and you can't just say com- completely write it off because that's not that's just not going to happen. And that's not going to be something that we do. I don't, I don't think James Franklin is on any sort of hot, hot seat or anything be- before the 0-4 uh, start that he's been on. But, I mean, at the same time, it's 2020, so anything can happen. But uh, You're playing games. They're still counting. They're still keeping track of wins and losses. Yeah, that's right? going in the career record, no doubt about it. I mean, you're not, uh, you're not just throwing this one completely out. But uh, given what we've seen in terms of uh, revenue and all that kind of stuff, I don't think a ton of coaches are getting fired, especially, you know, one that, that, that won 11 games a year ago. And, and by the way, I mentioned this, I believe, on Friday. I want to reinforce it real quickly before we take off. Penn State held its first in-person team meeting of the season where everybody was together in one place, not virtually doing it. They were all spread out in the indoor practice facility. That was this past Tuesday. It's the first time this 2020 football team has been together. And we're talking about since they added 26 new players to the roster uh, over the course of this year, a bunch of those coming in the summer. After losing three games, they just now got together and had a team meeting. Something as basic as that makes it very hard to measure this 2020 Penn State team against any that we've seen, particularly trying to, to go against the 2019, 18, 17, 16 teams. I, I, that is what makes it so fascinating, and I sure hope that we're able to see some normalcy for the 2021 year uh, because right now it's just – that's all you got to know. First team meeting of the entire 2020 season took place after you were 0-3, and, and there's there, – it's just – 
just, it's unbelievable. It's just unbelievable. Well, they look, they've looked like a team that hasn't been together. Yeah. And they, you know, that's, I don't think it's a shot at anybody, but you look at this and there's just disjointed all over the place, whether it's, you know, putting in the new offense or whether, you know, it's just working from level to level defense. They look like a team that's very, uh, fractured. That's very, you know, uh, I don't want to say, individuals staying out for or looking out for themselves but i mean you certainly take into to account Jahan Dotson's comments after the game last weekend and you can say yeah i could probably see that so i think that there's work to be done on the 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 camaraderie side there's work to be done you know just on the team building side um will they get that done in the next week before iowa probably not but uh you know i think that the the second half and i guess the last two and a half quarters um really gave you something maybe to be uh optimistic about next weekend uh i still don't know that i'm going to bring myself to pick against uh or excuse me pick penn state next weekend um but you know you just I think i'm changing it up man yeah, i think yeah. i think i'm changing it up yeah i i, sh- I knew i should have changed it up when i heard they had the best practice ever on tuesday that's that's been a rule of thumb for my for me is anytime they have the best practice ever to you know pick against them because it's going to all come crumbling down. But we did not do that. Uh, we did talk about uh, for a while now, Penn State's 0-4 record lost in Nebraska on the road. Um, but, you know, I think that, like I said, there's there's been enough time, especially since that first half and that waterfall in the first half, that you can take some positives out of it. And you're probably feeling a little bit more like, the you know, after the Indiana game than you're feeling after the Maryland game. And and if or you, you felt, if you sorry. if you turned on this podcast and you were wanting us to scream and shout about zero and four and all that and stomping, that was kind of last week's episode. It, you know, we're gonna try to wrap our heads around it together. We have a few episodes coming your way before we get to the Iowa game. I think we're gonna learn a lot more this week about the team, specifically at quarterback, and we'll start from there and, and continue to try to work our way through this twenty twenty season, which has been quite the journey thus far. Um, I think that's it from us. I gave you a, a 40 plus minutes on, on this one. You know, we'll be back again Tuesday with our first episode of a new week, fresh off of James Franklin's press conference. Uh, we'll see what kind of big news we have coming out of there to discuss as well. But on behalf of Sean Fitz, I'm Tyler Donahue wishing you a great rest of your weekend. This has been the Lions 24-7 postgame podcast.